Amen. Well, good morning, church. We're going to be in Colossians chapter 3, verse 18. Colossians 3. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. The ushers will get you one. Can we get any more light up here? Is it that possible? I'm getting old. All right. Colossians 3. We're going to finish uh, chapter 3 today. I'm pretty excited about it. I hope you will be too. I've been praying about it all week because it's not, it's not easy stuff. It's, uh, it's, it's things that God wants for the family, for the marriage, for uh, the kids, for the employers, employees, and it's practical stuff. And he's going to be talking about marriage today. He's going to talk about the family. And he's going to give us just, in a nutshell, what we need to do to have a successful family, how to have a successful marriage, how to be successful in business. And it's, it's so simple. It's like sometimes when you think if God was going to talk to us about marriage, that, you know, we would need at least two books of the Bible, first and second marriage, and it would be like 200 chapters, and we need to get it down. But you know what? He, he narrows it down to one command for the husband, one command for the wife. And if you do these things, you're going to do well, and you're going to be blessed. And so these are things that can be a little touchy for us, and over the years, uh, there's never been any perfect marriage except for our marriage to our Lord. And there's going to be challenges in the family. There's going to be challenges in the marriage. But you've got to remember, you've got to commit to the Word of God. Do you believe this is the Word of God? Okay, then, then we need to obey it because this is the B-I-B-L-E, basic instructions before leaving earth. There's nothing new under the sun. When we read this and God tells us what he wants us to do and what he doesn't want us to do, if we are faithful to obey him, we're going to be successful. doesn't mean we're not going to have troubles in this world. Of course we're going to have troubles in this world. We live in a lost and dying world. He said you will have much tribulation, but if we obey his word, we're going to do a lot better. We're going to make it through. He's going to see us through, and he's got promises in heaven for us that are just so great that... We can't even imagine how great it's going to be. And so knowing what he's done for us, it seems it would be pretty obvious it would be best for us to obey his word. I think the problem I'm seeing today, because we're in the last days, and in these last days is that people are picking and choosing what they want to believe in the Bible and what they don't want to believe. And so we come to this portion here that's going to deal with us all, and so we might as well just read it. Let's uh, start with uh, verse 18. Look at verse 18. One never tires of reading this. Wives, submit unto your own husbands as it is fitting to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be bitter toward them. Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest you be, they become discouraged. Bond servants. Obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men pleasers, but in sincerity of heart, fearing God. And whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive a reward of the inheritance, for you serve the Lord Christ. But he who does wrong will be repaid for what he has done, and there is no partiality. Masters. 
give your bondservants what is just and fair, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Father, we uh, come to you right now praying, Lord God, that you would open our hearts to receive your word. Uh, Lord, that you would speak to the husbands and the wives, the parents, the, the children, the employees, the employers, that if we just follow your simple rule, we're going to be successful and finish well. So, Lord, open our eyes to see. Give us ears to hear what the Holy Spirit's saying today. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. I entitled the message, New Life Order. In opposition of the New World Order. Which all of you can obviously see that we are in the end times the great push that we have for a new world, world order. It is biblical. It is satanic. It's coming. It's on its way. They want it in place within seven years. That's how close it is. They want to rule over you. They want government to be in charge. They want to raise your family. They think they know how to raise your children better than you do. They want to control your money. They want to control your life. They want to control your health. They want to be able, a handful of people, to tell you who deserves treatment, who doesn't deserve treatment, and that they want to put any kind of injection into your body, and you don't have a say. Because the World Health Organization thinks they know better than you. They don't want God in the world. We are not of the world. We are in the world, but we're not of it. There's a prince of this world. His name is Satan. And when Adam and Eve fell in the garden, Satan received the title deed to the earth. They forfeited it. And the Bible says he is the prince of this world. But Jesus has bought back this world by paying the price on the cross for our sins by the shedding of his blood, and he's going to come take back this world and set up his kingdom. And we're going to be part of that. It's funny how Satan always tries to counterfeit what God does. If God does something good, Satan counterfeits it. When you come to Jesus Christ and you acknowledge that He's the only way for eternal life when you acknowledge him as Lord and Savior, when you acknowledge he's the only one that can forgive sin, that there's no way to the Father except through him, and you give your life to the Lord, you become a new creation. All things have passed away. All things become new. You have a new life, a transformed life. The renewing of your mind by the Holy Spirit. God does something in you. And we are not of this world. And with that new life, you're going to act different. Now, some of you are going to come along a little faster than others. Some of you are a little stubborn. And you fight God. But here's the thing. Philippians 1.6 promises that God's going to finish what he started. Now, he's going to get you from point A to point B. It's up to you if you go in a straight line or side to side. I love it when the Bible supports what I want. 
And when I see somebody that's not doing what I think they should be doing, boy, I'll tell you what, I can just recognize it right off the bat because it's easier to see someone else's sin than to see my own. And boy, I'll have those verses for them, but oh, Lord, be patient with me. So we're coming to some touchy stuff here. We're going to talk about marriage. We're going to talk about submission. We're going to talk about loving. We're going to talk about obeying. We're going to talk about being an example. And here's the thing. If we fight what's being said here in the scriptures, can we call that rebellion? Hello, church. Can we call that rebellion? Okay. 1 Samuel 15, 23, thanks for saying that, says, For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is idolatry, because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord. Ah, oh, had to bring up that verse, didn't I? See, we can say we're Christians, and we could be growing in the grace of knowledge, but there's certain areas sometimes we are unwilling to deal with in our lives that needs to be dealt with. And if you're married, it's not always a honeymoon. What builds character is getting through the, the highs and the lows, the mountaintop experiences, the valleys below. That what, what shows that we're Christians is that we persevere and we don't give up on each other. I think when we start thinking that we have arrived and our spouse needs work, we're in trouble. I think the way we raise our children is important to do it God's way and not the way of the world. You have a little time with them. So God gives us simple commands for success in marriage and with the family. He gives us a divine order. There's an order of things. There's God's divine order in our lives and we need to acknowledge it. So when you talk about wives submitting, that doesn't go over well. I, I always read Ephesians chapter 5, husbands and wives, with every wedding that I do. And I got to tell you that sometimes when I read the part about wives submitted to your husbands as unto the Lord, I hear snickers in the audience. I've even heard it from the bride-to-be. And when I hear that, I go, oh, this marriage is already in trouble. See, because wives, listen, if your husband loves you like Christ loves the church, you're not going to have any problem submitting unto him as the head of the house. It's not that he's smarter. It's not that he's closer to God. It's just the order. In 1 Corinthians 11, tells us that the head of Christ is God. What does that mean? The head of Christ is the Father. There's a divine order. The Father, the Son, Jesus Christ. Remember Jesus said, I never do anything unless the Father tells me to do it. I don't say anything unless he tells me to say it. There's a divine order. The head of Christ is the Father. The head of man is Christ. The head of woman is man. That's what 1 Corinthians 11.3 tells us. But even though... The order, the divine order, the head of Christ is the Father. Jesus didn't consider it robbery to be equal with God. They were equal. They were in harmony. But 
Jesus demonstrates the order to us so that we will submit unto him the order of the household. It's not that the husband's better. It's just God says, you got to do it this way if you want to have a successful marriage. A man is not to be a dictator in the house. He's to love his wife and care for and cherish and nourish her. He's a man that, that listens to his wife. Any man that doesn't listen to the input of his wife is an idiot. I thought the ladies would all say amen right there, but... All right. I know if my wife was at this service, she would have. Now, wives, as submitting unto your husbands, there is limitations. You don't submit unto sin. Because when your husband asks you to sin, you say, listen, um, God's first in my life, you're second. And I need to obey him. So, Because I know there's a lot of husbands out there that try to get their their wives do whatever, and you, you fill in the blank. Just as children don't need to obey their parents when their parents are asking them to sin. There's an order. A man is to love his wife and be that example for her. Now, what we got to understand that when God asks a woman to submit to her husband as unto the Lord, and a husband to love his wife like Christ loved the church, that's not conditional. Well, you know what, I, I, you know, I was trying to submit to him for two weeks. Or I loved her for a whole month and nothing's changed. It's not conditional. God will bless you for your faithfulness to endure. God understands that for a man, he needs to feel respected by his wife. He needs to feel supportive by his wife. Notice he tells the wife to support, to be in subject to your husband. He doesn't tell her to love her husband. Why? Because women already know how to love. It's, he tells the husband that. A man has a need to be supportive by his wife. Wives, you trust him, that you'll discuss things. Women have tremendous input. And then, ladies, you trust that he will go to the Lord and pray about that situation and come back with an answer. Now, he may go to God, and he may pray about it, and God tells him, do what your wife said. She'll be so happy. But he might speak to you and say, no, do this instead. And that's tough because then the man has to come back and say, we're going to go this direction. And that might not be making the wife that happy. And she might get bitter herself. But ladies, you've got to trust that if he's seeking God, that God will work it out. So I can't stress the importance enough of a man needing the support of his wife. So let me ask you, wives, how supportive are you? Or do you fight him tooth and nail over everything?
Submitting is not saying that he's better, smarter, or closer to God. It's God's divine order. Because, listen, husbands will make mistakes. No man bats a thousand. If you've been married 5, 10, 15, 20 years, you know that your, your husband has made some wrong choices. He's gone to the Lord. He's prayed about it. He, he made the wrong choice. And you as a wife, when he does that, you come to him, you say, that was the worst choice. No, you don't say that. You tell him, you look him right in the eyes, and you say, the Lord is going to take care of this. I'm with you, and I'm praying for you. And I'll tell you what, that will stay with a man the rest of his life. He needs to know that his wife supports him and respects him. Because he works hard to take care of the family, to put food on the table, to pay the bills. And all he needs is respect. And then in verse 19, he says, Husbands, love your wives and do not be bitter towards them. See, it's easy when you feel like your wife's not doing what she should be doing and she starts treating you different. It's easy for us as men to get bitter towards them and then we're holding grudges and then there's the silent treatment. Or worse. And now you're, you're loving her conditionally. Lord, I can't put up with this anymore. I'm going to stop loving her. God says, um, wasn't an option. It's a command. Love her and don't be bitter towards her. Because listen, if you're a godly man and you're making your choices, you're taking them to God and you're listening and trying to hear the Holy Spirit speak to you, the direction to go, and you go that direction and she's not happy, she might mistreat you, don't you get bitter towards her. Let God work that out. You're a lousy Holy Spirit. love your wife like Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. You come into her world and you die to yourself. Now I know maybe some of you work 8, 10, 12 hour days. You come home and you feel like you just need to relax from a hard day's work. Well she's had a hard day too. Some, some wives are not only raising children but they're working too on top of that. And they're keeping the house and she needs a break. I'll tell you what, it was a, having five, it was a lot easier for me to go to work than to stay home and take care of the kids. That's just my personal view. I was like, honey, I got to go to work. <laughs> she did the hard part. When my grandkids started growing up and they dropped them off with me to watch all of them the first time, I was like, it was crazy. I was freaking out in 20 minutes. My wife called, you watching the kids? I'd like... Yeah. How did we do this? She goes, we didn't. I did. <laughs> but when a man knows that his wife supports him and respects him, he's going to love her. And when she's feeling loved, she's going to be supportive, and the whole thing's going to snowball into a, a ton of blessings. Because she realizes 
that if I support him and I do what God's saying, God's going to bless that. And he realizes if I love her like Christ loved the church and gave his life for it, that he's going to bless that. Then all these blessings are going to come upon the husband and the wife and the family. Because they're going to unconditionally commit to doing this for each other. Which is going to snowball into a ton of blessings. And so men, you need to love your wife. She needs to know it. Not just with words, but with action. I need, you know, some women, they, they need to see it. Some women need to hear it. Some women need both. There's some women, you can tell them 50 times a day you love them, and then right before bed, honey, do you love me? And you're like, what do you mean do I love you? I mean, I, I work every day. I bring home a paycheck at the end of the week. I told you when we got married. She just needs that reassurance. And not just with word, but with action. She needs to know that you're going to care for her, that you're going you're to see her through with this thing, that you're not going to walk out on her, you're not going to give up on her. She needs to feel that love. Now, over the years, um, I've done a lot of marriage counseling. And... Uh, It's always challenging because what I find so many times is that neither one of them are doing what God's asking them to do. And then they come to me and they've, this thing's been building for 10, 15, 20 years and they're ready to call it quits and they're coming to see me and they look at me like, you got an hour to fix this. And I'm like, oh, lucky me. And so many times what I find is that they really don't want me to heal the marriage. They just want me to referee and choose a side who I'm going to support. And, and I tell people right off the bat, I go, um, I am not a referee. And if this is just going to be, you know, he did, she did, they did, whatever, and you're just going to go back 20 years, we're done. All I want to know is do you want to fix this thing? And if you want to fix this thing, then we can move forward from there. I'm not here to take sides. I'm here to heal. And so many times I find the real problem is, is the husband's unwilling to love his wife like Christ loved the church, and the woman doesn't respect him or submit herself to him. And you expect it to work out. It's not working. You're not doing what you're supposed to do. Try it. Blow your minds. Receive the blessing. And realize this, that men are different than women. Hello. I hear, I hear the guy complaining, you know, she's so emotional. She's all these feelings. And blah, she's always doing it. Well, what'd you expect? She's a woman. What, you want to marry a man? No, you don't want to do that. I mean, we're in church, right? But sometimes I listen to these guys and they're looking at their wives like they wish they were like a man. You know, we just go out, we fish for three hours, nobody says anything, that's good living. She's a woman. And then sometimes I listen to the wife and she's going on and on and I'm going, Are you, what? He's a man. He doesn't act like that. You, what you're, you're describing to me what you need is a, is a good girlfriend that will listen to you. 
He doesn't have all those emotions and feelings that you do. Remember, God took those out of Adam. Hello? In the garden, God made man out of dirt. Guys, you're dirt. He breathed into your nostrils and gave you the breath of life. He did not make woman out of dirt. He made woman from the side of man. And he put Adam in a deep sleep. And he made Eve. And when Adam woke up, he looked over and the Lord brought his wife to him. And he looked at her and he went, whoa, man. That's for me? And he had to realize that something was different in him. I mean, he wakes up out of deep sleep. God took everything that woman is out of man. All that was in Adam was removed and put into her to make a woman. That's why when the two come together, they become one. She's everything you're not. He's everything you're not. Don't expect her to act like a man. Don't expect him to act like a woman. Adam must have woke up and he was like, Oh, I feel different. What'd you do to me? I feel strong. I, I want to conquer. I want to build things. I'm feeling, I'm feeling, that's it. I'm not feeling anything at all. She got all those feelings. If we as couples, just obey what God's telling us to do, it'll work out. It'll work out. And then he warns us, don't be bitter towards your wife. Because it's easy. If you're trying to do what God wants you to do, and, and you make a decision and she's not happy with it, and all of a sudden you get the cold shoulder... Or she says things that's not nice. It's easy for you to get bitter because you knew what God was telling you to do. And, and she doesn't, she's not happy with that decision. And she's now getting, now you're getting punished for doing the right thing. It's easy to get bitter. God says, don't do it. How many times did we not do what God told us to do and he didn't get bitter towards us? Okay, let's move on to kids. We can all pick on them. <laughs> 20, verse 20, children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. You know, back in um, Ephesians, it says in uh, chapter 6, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with you and you may live long on earth. Why does it say that? Why was the fifth commandment, honor thy father and mother, the first commandment with a promise. And why does he say if you do it that there's the promise of long life? Because back then, if you were disobedient, they took you out and stoned you. I'm serious. In Exodus 21, it says if a child strikes his father or mother, take them out and stone them. If a child curses their father or mother, take them out and stone them. God was setting an example right off the bat. It seemed harsh. But that's how important this was for the family unit. And this was the law. Now Jesus is the fulfillment of the law. And we are no longer under the law of Moses, but we're under a better law, a better law, stronger law, the law of the Spirit. And so there's that grace there. We don't just take our kids out and stone them. But God had to set an example, just like he did when the church was birthed, 
When you saw Ananias and Sapphira misrepresent God, God dropped them dead. They gave up the Holy Ghost. They were saved, but they got in the way of Jesus. Well, what'd they do? Well, they, they sold some property. They acted like they gave it all so everybody would think they were spiritual, but they really kept back a portion for themselves, which was up to them. But the fact that they lied to the church and they lied to the Holy Spirit, God wasn't going to tolerate it in the first early church. And he made an example of them. Oh, they went to heaven, but they dropped dead, and everybody freaked out. And they were like, whew, we got to watch our step. In Corinthian, in Corinth, when they were rebuked, for abusing the communion table. The rich were getting drunk at the communion table. They were eating all the food before the poor got there. And, and Paul says, some of you are sick and even died. That God took these people off the planet of the earth. They were believers, but he, he removed them. Why? Because they're getting in the way of the Lord. But now Jesus has fulfilled the law. We are dead to the law. But now we obey a greater law, the law of the Spirit. And it's full of grace and truth and mercy and God's patient with us. But there's an importance for children to obey their parents. Promise of long life. See, children need to have a concern and appreciation for the family. Because in this generation, CPS will take your kid if you spank them. A child can divorce his parents. And what that's done is it's produced the most unruly generation that's ever been. They have no respect. There's no consequences to anything. They never receive discipline. And sometimes for the children, I'll tell you what, You think, well, you know, mom and dad have to take care of me and buy me clothes and give me money and take me here and do this for me and do that for me because they're my parents. Um, You need to appreciate that. Because you know what happens when they ask you to do a chore? Oh, why me? Why can't they do that? I'm asking you. When a child's like that, there's no appreciation for the family. There's no concern for the family. But you need to teach your children that. You need to train them up in the ways of the Lord so when they're older, they don't depart. If your children are rebellious and they don't appreciate things, it could be your fault. Because they need to be taught. They need to be shown. Well, what's the example? Jesus. Do you think he was perfect? That was a great place for an amen. Hello. Can you imagine raising a teenager who actually was God? I mean, he always did everything. He never sinned. He never failed. Mary would go, Jesus, can you take out the trash and straighten up the house? Already did it, Mom. Can you imagine being his brothers and sisters? They knew if he knew what they were up to, he would rat them out. Because if Mom or Dad asked, what was Judas and uh, James up to? Did they go to school or did they skip out and fish? Jesus was going to go, well, they went fishing. So they might have thought of him as the rat in the family. Can't believe he told mom and dad that. Well, he never sinned. Can you imagine living in that house? You've got the creator of the universe in your house. And John the Baptist, who was his cousin, can you imagine when he come over? 
Jesus is in the room with all the kids. He's like, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. John the Baptist comes in and says, behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. They all thought they were nuts. Jesus in his ministry, one time his family went after him because they thought he was crazy. He's besides himself. No, he wasn't. Because he was saying things about the kingdom, about the Father. It was powerful. But he was an example to children. So in a child's life, God's first, parent's second. If a parent asks you as a child to do something that's sin, you don't have to do that. You don't have to obey that. But everything else you do. There's an old saying, as long as you live in my house, you live under my rules, right? That's a great saying. It's true. I, you know, it's so funny. I, I remember my kids growing up, and I discipline or something would happen, and, and they'd go, I am never going to treat my kids like you. I will never do that to my kids. And now they're growing up with kids, and I'm like, you're doing that. Now, children obey your parents until you're married. Because when a man leaves his father and mother and cleaves to a wife, they become one. And they move out of a house and they get their own place. And now they're not under that obligation to obey their parents because they're no longer under their parents' roof. But they have the obligation to honor their father and mother. If they move back into the house, then they should honor the rules of their parents' house. Simple as that. In verse 21, he says, Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. This is a great verse. Guys, dads, we need to hear this. Because what I've seen in my life, and and I've even been guilty of it, is to, to not say anything to my kids unless they need discipline. To not give them an attaboy, to not pat them on the back, to not tell them you're doing a great job, I'm proud of you, but only coming to them when I need to straighten them out. And if you do that, you'll discourage your child. And if you don't pour in their life right now, when they reach 14, 15, 16, you won't have a life with them. You won't have a relationship, and when they hit 18, they'll be done with you. Because all they ever remember about you is that it was always discipline, 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 punishment. You don't measure up. Man, how I've seen some fathers get down on their kids because they got a couple C's on the report card. This isn't a C house. You're not average. And the funny thing is that guy got C's all through his life. Instead of, you know, acknowledging and saying, wow, you got an A here, you got a B here, that's awesome. A C here, a C's good, but let's try to make it a B. Pouring into your kids. Teaching them right from wrong. Established, let them know what's wrong. So when they do it, they already know there's consequences. But when you go off on your kid that doesn't even realize what he did was wrong and you just discipline and come down, maybe give him a beating. He's frustrated because he doesn't know because you never told him. For example, when uh, my grandkids were little, my daughter brought over all four of them. And the oldest ones, Nalu and Hoku, were like, I don't know, six and five at the time. And so I, I'm watching them, and obviously, and 
I walk down the hallway, and as I walk down the hallway, I look over, and I notice that there's drawings all over the wall. <laughs> and so I go to them because I was looking at the drawings, and, and, and you know, some were like about this high, and some were about this high. And I'm thinking, okay, naluhoku, because when we draw, we kind of do like this on the wall, so shoulder level, shoulder, okay. Then. And I went and I told them, I go, why'd you draw on the wall? And they go, we didn't. They didn't know how I knew. They were blown away. I took them over and I showed it to them, and they were like all like, no, this is it. This is where this banking comes. And I said, listen, you don't draw on the wall. Now, if you do this again, there's going to be consequences. That's what we need to do to our kids. I always told my kids, that said, listen, if you screw up and you come to me first and tell me about it, it's going to be a lot less than if I find out on my own. And I've appreciated having that relationship with my kids when they would come to me and they said, listen, I screwed up and I did this. And instead of punishing them, I say, what would you learn? Okay, don't do it again because there will be consequences the next time. We need to pour into our kids. Our kids need to know that we love them, that we're proud of them, that we appreciate them, that, that we care for them, that we want the best for them. It's so important. And then in verse 22, he deals with bond servants. Now, we can just make that modern time employees. Because a bond servant was a slave. A bond servant was someone that chose to be a servant to that household. A slave would say when he could have been released, you know what, I love you. I love the way you treat me. I love working here. I want to be a bond servant. So we can look at this as employers and employees. And so he says in verse 22, bond servants obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men pleasers, but in sincerity of heart, fearing God. And whatever you do, do it heartily as unto the Lord, and not to men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive a reward of the inheritance. For you serve the Lord Christ. But he who does wrong will be repaid for what he has done. There is no partiality. So if you're going to do wrong, God's going to deal with you. So what is he saying right here? He's saying, as employees, the person that you work for, Honor the position that you took and do the job. Don't, not with eye service, not as a man pleaser. Oh, here comes the boss. Grab the broom. You know, work it here, boss. Work it here. On the cell phone. Oh, here comes the boss. Working, boss. Because I'll tell you what, there's a lot of people that work in places, and they, they, it's hard for them to do their job. They work at about half speed. And then you have somebody who has good worth ethics, but they're looking around, they're going, I'm doing twice the work of everybody else, and we're getting paid the same. And there's a tendency for you to want to slow down because you're doing twice the work. Don't slow down. Because why? You're doing it unto the Lord. I always told my kids, whenever you have a job, don't do 80%. Don't do 90%. Do 110 You go above and beyond because when that, if you don't like your job, the next promotion is going to you. Because the boss is going to look at you and go, man, is there any more like you? He's going to recognize that. Because why are you doing it? Because you're doing it for the Lord. We're ambassadors of Christ. We're representing him. And, and your boss, the only Bible he'll ever read, might be you. And then he says, our last verse for the day, Masters, give your bondservants what is just and fair, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. 
Employers, you need to represent God. You're not a dictator. You're just and fair. Why? Because our God is just and fair with us. You represent the Lord Jesus Christ. You don't take advantage of your employees. You don't mistreat them. You don't try to leverage against them to get them to do things that they don't want to do, that you're just trying to get out of them for free. You treat them just and fair. How fairly has God treated you? How many of you have been so blessed by the Lord? How many of you have gotten not only your needs, but some wants? God has given you more than you deserve. He says as an employer, do that to your employees. Treat them with respect. Treat them with honor. Get to know them. Get to know their families. Pay them what's right. So many times we see these guys getting rich and they pay their whole group minimum wage. I've seen it. You've seen it. These huge clothing companies and sneaker companies, and they go to a far-off country, and they have people working for them, making a dollar, two, three dollars a day. And they turn around, they sell that product for 300 a piece. That's wrong. You can have two companies in the U.S. making the same product, doing the same job. This company pays minimum wage, and this company pays a lot more. Now, both companies are making a lot of money. So you got this guy who pays them all minimum wage, and let's say he's got eight employees, and they're all working for minimum wage. And at the end of the year, their work makes him five, six, seven million dollars. That's just wrong. He needs to share that. He needs to share that. Because if you got two companies that do the same work, and then the word gets out, this guy doesn't pay nothing, and this guy pays a lot more, guess where everybody wants to work? If you appreciate your employees, give them a bonus. Acknowledge them. Some of you workers are like, yes, preach it. Listen, be like Jesus. For 30 years before Jesus started his ministry, he was a carpenter. And for 30 years, as a carpenter, he was just, he was fair, he always did a good job, he always charged fairly, he never cheated anybody, he never put in junk stuff, he gave the best. How do I know? Because when he started his ministry and he was baptized in the Jordan, the Father spoke from heaven saying, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. Never did a sermon, never did a miracle, only lived life like you and me, so you and I would never be able to say, you don't know what I'm going through. He lived life like you and me without sin, and the word there in the Greek is implied, this is my son who I am already well pleased. This is good stuff. If we do these things, God will not only honor, he'll bless you. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you for just reminding us 
And Lord, I pray blessings right now on all the marriages, all the families, the children. I pray a blessing on the employers and the employees. Lord, in these last days that we would shine bright for your glory and that men and women would see us and see you shining in our eyes. That we may be the only Bible they ever read. And so, Lord, give us strength to be the men and women that you've called us to be, to be the children that you've called us to be, to be the employers and the employees you've called us to be. Unconditionally. Sticking to your word because we know that it's right. And watching you do a tremendous work. Lord, bless us and give us strength. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you guys.